I'd like for you to turn to the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews, and we're going to start reading at verse 32. There's a little lady in my church one time, she was a sweetly, saintly little lady, kind of bent and bowed uh, with the years. She had a tremendous sense of humor. And one day I was visiting with her, and I said, well, how are you doing? She said, well, I'm doing great, but I'm shrinking. I said, you're shrinking? She said, yeah. I said, she had been to the doctor, and he had uh, measured her, and he said, well, you're shrinking. I said, you're a half an inch shorter than you were the last time you were here. There are some parts of my body that I wish would shrink, you know. You go to buy a suit, you know, and this guy gets out this tape measure and he puts it around, you know, and he says, oh, size, and, and I say, it can't be. So yeah, it is. Look here. You know, he shows the proof, has the measurement and the measuring tape to prove it. Now, there are some places in our physical body we like to shrink. We don't want to shrink spiritually, but we do. You see, you never can maintain the status quo. If you're not maturing in your faith, then you're shrinking. You're going back. There is no such thing as maintaining the status quo. And you know there is a spiritual measurement to determine if you're shrinking or not spiritually. That spiritual measurement is how you respond to testing. I mean, it's like the tape measure. So that God takes the test and He puts it on your life and measures to see if you're going back or forward. Some of you are maybe perhaps experiencing that testing in your life. If not now, yesterday, and if not yesterday, tomorrow. And some of you are just kind of barely holding on and wonder how long you can hold on. You're looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. One wag said, the light at the end of the tunnel is the headlamp of the freight train that's coming right right on me. Somebody said he saw a bumper sticker not long ago. It said, the rat race is over and the rats have won. Now, you you may feel exactly like that. There's no win for you. The race is over and the rats have won. And the test, you have failed. The measurement of how you are maturing in your faith is the, how you respond to trials. Now, before we get into this, I want you to turn one book back to the first chapter of the book of James. Now, I suppose that I, I have a sermon on this that I've preached more than any other sermon. I, it's the most fantastic passage, perhaps, you can find. And in the first chapter of the book of James, chapter 1, verse 2, read it with me, just read along as I read. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing or in nothing. Um, I need to read that out of the J.B. Phillips translation. Listen to this translation. When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, 
Don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize that they come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of endurance. But let the process go on until that endurance is fully developed and you will find you have become men of mature character, men of integrity, with no weak spots. Now it seemed to me, it seems to me that a person's goal in life would be to have to be a person of mature character with no weak spots. But there is something you can write down as a truth and you know engrave it on the walls of your mind that the testing of faith produces a muscle, and that muscle is called endurance. And you can engrave this on the wall of your mind, that faith will not grow into, into endurance without stress. It's just not possible. That stress is the imperative ingredient necessary for faith to grow to endurance, to maturity. Now, I've worked me out a little formula, and you'll see it on the worksheet. X marks the place of beginning, and the, X, the second X marks the place of ending. Now, I want you to put in these words at the first X. The first X represents the time when your faith is challenged, and the second X represents the end when your faith is rewarded so that your faith is challenged and your faith is rewarded. And in the interim, in the in-between time, your faith is strengthened. Now, your faith is challenged here and your faith is rewarded over here, but the hard part is the in-between time, and but the in-between time is when your faith is strengthened. Now, don't let doubt robbed you in the valleys of what God has given you on the mountains. But in every life there will be the challenge of one's faith. Then there'll be the period when that faith will be strengthened, the, the silence. And there's always those, those, those periods of silence. When God is silent, when rewards do not come, when answers are not found, when mysteries are not solved, and in this inter interim, in this in-between time, that faith is strengthened, then the faith is rewarded. Now, let's go to chapter 10, verse 32. Now, verses 32 through 39, this is the hinge on which the great chapter 11 uh, swings. Chapter 11 is the, one of the greatest chapters in the Bible on faith, but chapter 11 swings on the hinges of verses 32 through 39. Now let's look, just read them with me. But remember the former days when after being enlightened... Just, just think tonight, let your mind remember when you were converted, when you became enlightened. Maybe you were you know, a small, uh, just a young boy, a young woman, a young child, and you were converted... Uh, you may not remember the exact day or the, the, you know, the exact time. It may be a, a season that you remember. Some of you can remember the exact day. Some of you can name the place where you were. But the time when you found the Lord. Now, it's just a comma between 
the time you found the Lord and the time you begin to experience trials. Look at this. It says, But remember the former days when after being enlightened, comma, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. Just a comma between salvation and suffering. Now I had the idea, and I think it's preached often, that when you become a Christian, it's the beginning of easy street. I mean, nothing, no problems ever happen after that. And you kind of anticipate, man, now I'm going to be saved as smooth sailing from now on. It's just a comma between salvation and suffering. And the word there for, for conflict is an interesting word. It's a, it's a Greek word from which we get the word athletics. And it's the picture of an arena of combat, an encounter, a struggle. It's the gladiatorial struggle, combat, where these Christians are brought and they are engaged in a, in a struggle for, that's, that's a life and death encounter. Now, the, the author of the book of Hebrews gives us four general examples of the kind of suffering that we endure in life. Verses 33 through 34. Now, you'll see that in the, some examples to consider. That's where you want to put these four. The first, he, 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 he describes with the word reproaches. It's the test of another man's tongue. It's the test of defamation of character. It's the test of verbal abuse. Is there anything harder than that? Let me tell you what. I have a hard time dealing with hearing, you know, in town things said negative about me. I really have a problem about that. With that, I, I, I don't guess I, uh, uh, I don't guess I'm an exception. Don't you have a problem with that? People who are out there in, you know, verbally abusing. How do you deal with defamation of character? How do you deal with verbal abuse? Is there anything any harder than that? Somebody's tongue lashing? Somebody's criticism? He said, you're going to experience reproaches. Secondly, is tribulation, it is the abuse of someone else's actions. It's what somebody does to you. It's the word pressure, and the picture is that of somebody pressing out grapes until the juice flows. It's the pressure of someone's overt act. The old preacher said, when in tribulation, we need to tribulate. Now, I thought that was, you know, just black talk, but it isn't. You look that up in the dictionary, and the word tribulate means to endure tribulation, to endure the overt actions of somebody else, their pressures. Then, he said, there is the test of indirect suffering, where the test does not come to you, it doesn't strike you, but it strikes someone you love, somebody who is important to you, somebody you care deeply about. Let me tell you something. Sometimes that hurts worse than personal attacks. When you hear of someone's overt action or someone's verbal abuse, to somebody about somebody you love. That hurts worse than the test that comes to you directly. Then he said there's a fourth, and that suffering is the test of the losing of valuable things, the loss of health, the loss of mate, 
the loss of a child, the loss of a friend, the loss of a job or security, the loss of memory. I can identify with that. The loss of possessions. He said, the test of the loss of valuable things. Now, in life, he said, you're going to experience these four general kinds of suffering. And the test of whether or not you're maturing is how you respond to these. Now, what do I do about them? How do I handle them? How do I handle this pressure? Well, I replace it. That's what I do. I displace it. That's what I do. Lofton Hudson said, It doesn't matter what the pressure is. What really matters is where the pressure lies. Does it lie between you and God, or does it press you nearer to His heart? So when the pressure comes, I displace that pressure. Psalms calls it, the psalmist calls it, rolling it over to God, so that when I roll that pressure over to Him, and I resign that pressure to Him, He takes up my case. He takes up my case. And earth has no sorrow that heaven does not feel. So what I do with this pressure that comes, indirect pressure, the loss of valuable things, this overt action of others, the verbal abuse and defamation of character, what I do with that, if I have the kind of faith that is triumphant, I roll that pressure over on God and rest it there. Now look at what he says in verse 35. Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance. Now remember my statement. Faith cannot produce, be, produce endurance unless it's tested. Faith cannot grow to endurance without stress. He said you need endurance. You need endurance, so your faith is going to be tested, but don't throw away your confidence. It has its reward. Don't give up in the valley what God gives you on the mountain. He says, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what He has promised. For yet a little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. He's always on time. But my righteousness, my righteous one shall live by faith and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. On your little worksheet, statement of fact, write this in. God takes no pleasure in those who shrink. God takes no pleasure in those who shrink. Now, it doesn't mean that you, you, lo you lose your salvation if you go back. It doesn't mean that at all. What it means is that God doesn't smile on that. It's not pleasing to God when we go back. And there is only one alternative to maturing in faith, and that alternative is to shrink. Now, there are five observations about faith I want us to get. This is kind of the introduction to about a four-week study on the 11th chapter, and I want you to jot these down. These are so important, I think. There are five observations about faith. Observation number one is found in verse 1 of chapter 11. Faith involves confidence and convictions. Faith involves confidence and convictions. Now here's what he said. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now I want to do a little word study with you, those two words. The first is the word assurance. It means to stand under. 
And it is the idea of foundational things, like the foundation of a building. So what he's saying is that your faith is the foundation upon which you build your life. It's foundational to life. And it's sometimes used in the sense of a foundational document like a title deed. And that's why some translations have it, faith is the title deed things hoped for. Now, a title deed is that which guarantees ownership. Now, that's pretty important if you have something somebody else is going to try to take away from you. Suppose you have a bill, uh, uh, some property somebody else wants. They're going to take that away from you. You take that title deed down to the courts, and the title deed is the foundational document that guarantees your ownership. Now, watch this carefully. Faith is the guarantee of the things you hope for. It's the title deed. Now, what do you hope for in life? What is your hope? Your hope tonight, based on what? It, your faith is the title deed that guarantees what you hope for. It is, secondly, is the word conviction. It means proof. Conviction adds cement to hope and hardens it into reality. Now, just let your eyes uh, uh, glance down to verse 27. It says, By faith Moses left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Let me give you a picture of that. When I got out of college, I went out to pastor a little country church out in Fisher County. Wasn't planning to go to seminary, you know, I was tired of school. I'd been going to school uh, for four years, working all night in a job. I was, I was going, you know, I mean, what could I learn at the seminary anyway? I mean, I had six or eight books and I'd read them. But the second year at the sem after college, I just really felt God leading me to seminary. And so I got ready to go. And had this old guy in my church, I'd, I'd led him to the Lord. He was just, he became, he, he became a dear, dear, close personal friend. And he ran a little jot him down grocery store there in this little old one store town where I pastored. And he said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, I, we'll, just, we'll just load you up and move you to Fort Worth. And he backed up his old cattle truck, you know, I mean, cattle trailer up my front door at the little old house I lived in. You talk about the grapes of wrath. If you saw that movie, you, you know exactly what that looked like. He piled all of my belongings in that old cattle trailer, and we just stacked up like a pyramid. And this big old rope, well rope, you know, tying it all down. And as he started off, half of that stuff just fell off. I mean, it just came loose. And we had this little old cardboard furniture, you know, uh, Cindy's room, it just shattered that. Well, that eliminated that. We didn't need that any longer. And off we went to Fort Worth, just motoring on down the road like we had, you know, good sense. You know what I was saying in my mind? I was saying, boy, seminary and pastoring this great church one day. I mean, I was going to take Fort Worth by storm. That must have been a sight. You know, here comes this little old cattle trailer coming into seminary, an old beat-up car following along behind. And, and we were just felt so great, 
Because you know what? We could just see the whole thing before us. Seminary degree, pastor in a church full time in a county seat town, brick church with a red brick parsonage. It all just was just right there. Now, what the author of the book of Hebrews says is this, that your faith just brings that to your sight before you get it. It's the conviction that it's yours. Second thing about faith is that it always relates to the future. It always relates to the future. Faith never relates to the past. It relates to the future. That leads it directly to the third one, so get this one. Faith has as its object things not seen. If you can see it, it's not faith. If you can see something, it requires no faith. You don't have to have much faith to believe there's a pulpit in this church building. You can see it. You don't have to have much faith to believe that there are pews in this auditorium. You can see those. For faith always has as its object things not seen. It's, it's being able to see the invisible. Oswald Sanders has a marvelous little book called Spiritual Leadership. Let me read a little statement. He says, Those who have most powerfully and permanently influenced their generation have been the seers. Men who have seen more and farther than others. Men of faith. For faith is vision. This was true of the prophets or seers of the Old Testament times. Moses, one of the great leaders of all time, endured as seeing him who is invisible. His faith imparted vision. Elijah's servant saw with great vividness the vastness of the encircling army. Elisha saw the invincible, environing host of heaven who were invisible to his servant. His faith imparted vision. And I don't know what that says to you, but it says this, that the people who have profoundly affected the world are the people who are able to see what others cannot see. Eyes that look are numerous. Eyes that see are few. Are you one of those, peop- th- those kinds of people that just can visualize what no- nobody else can? Oh, for a church of people with a vision. Fourth, faith is basic to pleasing God. Now he says in verse uh, 6, and without faith it is impossible to please Him. Now he didn't say it's hard to please Him. He said it's impossible. He says that you can teach a Sunday school class, come to church every Sunday, be a tither, etc., etc., But if you're not exercising faith, you're not pleasing God. He's not pleased with your life. It's basic to pleasing Him. Five. Faith means focusing fully on God. Now now look at the last part of verse 6. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. 
It focuses fully on God. One, guy, one time a guy said to me, he said, I, I, you know, I'd like to believe what you preach. He said, but he said, I, I think I would if you could prove to me that God is and that God does what He says. And I said to him, I said, you know, I'll be glad I'll do that. Well, let me ask you to do one thing before I start trying to do that to you. He said, okay. I said, let me tell you about this saintly little lady in my church who just lives by faith, prays to God every day, trusts God to be her supplier and sustainer, just talks to God like a friend. I said, now, I'll prove to you that God, it does exist, if you will first prove to that saintly lady that He doesn't exist. It seems to me that I, it would be easier for a person to prove that God exists than it would be to prove that He doesn't. The person who has faith can, can come to God believing that He is and have absolute confidence that He'll do what He says. Now let me tell you something. If you don't believe that God will do what He says, then you might as well never come to God. Because you don't believe that He is. If you've got a pencil and you don't mind writing this in, I'm going to give you some definitions of faith that other people have said, other people have written, they will quit. Faith is, just, you know, this is it, fill in the blank. Faith is confidence in God's faithfulness to me. Faith is confidence in God's faithfulness to me. And later on we're going to see, the author of the book of Hebrews said that, that, that Sarah believed, Sarah gave birth believing that God is faithful to His promise. Faith is recognizing God as the Lord of time when my idea of time doesn't agree with His. Let me give you that again. Faith is recognizing that God is the Lord of time when my idea of timing doesn't agree with His. Faith is resting in the fact that God has an objective in leaving me on the scene when I feel useless to Him and a burden to others. Not long ago I was talking to this person who was confined to a bed in a in a nursing home. Why does God leave me here? Well, faith is believing, is resting in the fact that God has an objective in leaving me on the scene when I feel useless to Him and a burden to others. Faith is refusing to worry when I haven't a clue to what God wants of my life. I'm not going to worry about it. I don't have a clue as to what God wants of my life, but I'm not going to worry about it. Faith is realizing that God is the God of the now, carrying out His purpose in every stupid, boring moment of my life. Let me say that's my favorite. Faith is realizing that God is the God of the now, carrying out His purpose in every stupid, boring moment of my life, so that there's not a moment in my life 
regardless of how empty and boring and useless that moment is, that God is not there carrying out His purpose. I claim that. I believe that. Let me give you three applications to wrap it up. First, ask yourself tonight the question, why is faith such a constant struggle with me? Why is faith such a constant struggle with me? Do I have bitterness in my heart that I haven't put, a, put to bed? Did you know you can't have faith in God if you have bitterness? I'm memorizing Psalm 139. And I was just going through that the other night, the other day, memorizing that. And he talks about that God did create my inward parts and did weave me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and my soul knows that quite well. You know, and I got to thinking, you know, um, I was, you know, athletics to me when I was in high school were the most important thing in the world. And I wasn't the greatest athlete in school and, and, and I, God just convicted me that I've had some bitterness about that all of my life. I wasn't big and fast, you know, so I could be a great football player. And you know what I did in my office? It's been 30 years. I just got out on my knees and asked God to forgive me for the bitterness I've had because I wasn't as fast and as great and as athletic as I wanted to be, as others were, my, my class. You know, you can't, you can't have faith in God if you've got a root of bitterness in your life. Have you, ask yourself, why is faith such a struggle to me? Is there a stronghold in my life that prevents my faith? Did I have a father that I couldn't trust? Was I betrayed somewhere by somebody I depended on quite well, maybe a mate or a friend, and it let me down, and so I, I, I've had a problem with faith? Why is it that I can't, I, I have such a faith, tr- struggle with faith? Second thing, do yourself a favor. Bite off life in daily chunks. Bite off life in daily chunks. Take it a day at a time. You've heard that cliche so much it's almost uh, superfluous. Velma Danube has a little book called Celebrate Joy. In this book she gives an illustration about the Eskimo who lives above the Arctic Circle. Said, so you ask an Eskimo how old he is, he'd say, I don't know and don't care. And she said, you, you press him. She said, I pressed the Eskimo after he said that. And, and his answer was, almost. And I said, almost what? And the Eskimo said, almost a day. Well, you see, the Eskimo believes that every night when you go to sleep, you die. And the next morning, you rise again and you, you start a new life. So that if you ask him how old he is, he'll say, Almost a day. And then she said, kind of in postscript of that little illustration, she said, life above the Arctic Circle is harsh and cruel, and mere survival becomes a major accomplishment, but you seldom ever see an Eskimo who is worried and anxious, for they have learned to live a day at a time. Almost a day old. Third thing, and that's this is the end. 
find yourself a strong friend, that is, somebody you can trust whose vision imparts faith. You don't need to be around negative people. I don't like to be around negative people. I heard the story about a guy who was going across this bridge and a guy was getting ready to jump. He stopped and said, don't do that. Man, what's the problem? And the guy described to him this miserable life he lived. So when he finished, they both jumped. I tell you, it's contagious. You, you get around negative people and, and, and you become negative. I don't like to be around negative folks. Find yourself a friend, a strong friend, who can impart the vision of faith. It will make you feel like Jesus made men feel. This is what Oswald Sanders says. Listen. The Pharisees looked at Peter and saw only a poor, unlettered fisherman, totally insignificant, not worthy of a second look. Jesus saw Peter and discovered the prophet and the preacher, the saint and the leader of a unique band of men who turned the world upside down. No pessimist ever made a great leader. The pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity. The optimist sees an opportunity in every difficulty. The pessimist always seeing difficulties before possibilities tends to hold back the man of vision who desires to push ahead. He'll hold you back. Let me ask you a question. What is more real to you tonight? Your problem or God's provision? What is more real to you tonight? The difficulty and the test are God's resource and God's ability. Can you shout, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? You need to find you a friend and nestle right up against him who will impart vision and hope and optimism. I recommend the most optimistic man who ever lived. His name was Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father, help us to to see tonight that we're to go on. We're to stretch and not shrink. We're to launch out where we cannot see, walk by faith. To have the conviction, deep conviction, that you're in control, that you're opening doors, that you're providing, not to shrink back to fail knowing that you cannot smile upon doubters give us hope that's grounded in the reality of faith for I pray in Jesus name for his sake there's an invitation tonight you know I was talking to some guys this week we've been praying and this person said, you know, he said, I, I have a real conviction about a certain thing. He said, I believe God has given me this conviction, this, this goal, this dream.
And I felt led to say to him, you know, when a church is in revival, then that person feels free to say to the church, God has given me a dream. God has given me a goal, a vision. And the church says, thank you, Lord, that you've spoken to us through the man of God. Now, so I'm going to pray for you that you will feel free to come to the congregation and say, this is what I believe and God has given me to dream. And then I'm going to pray that we'll all together say, praise the Lord that God has spoken. Because I'm convinced that God is desiring and seeking and longing for men who have faith to dare, faith to dream, faith to claim God's promises. The gift of faith. Now I'm going to ask you tonight to, to be concerned about what God wants you to do in this invitation. Maybe to claim salvation for, for your life or for church membership you'll come or for the rededication of your life you'll come. And we'll not tarry long because that's not the way I feel it should be done. Just a stanza or two. If God's leading you, I think you'll come while we stand to sing.